Welcome, friends, to Church of the Geek, a podcast where we examine the intersection of the comic and the divine, where the funeral services always have a potluck afterwards, and the grief support groups never involve imprisoning a whole town full of people. (laughs) Thankful for that. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Hello, I'm Brian Bennett, campus pastor in Pittsburgh, and with me, as always, is my co-host, everyone's favorite synthesoid hospice chaplain, Sam Blair. Sam, how are you doing tonight? I am doing quite well. Good. Even though we 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 spent the the pre show talking about our various aches and pains as we get older, but um, nah. all in all, doing very well and uh, looking forward to summer and all that the summer holds. Yeah, it's kind of like summer has arrived. Mm-hmm. It's gotten yes. very warm, and it's not cold anymore. It's not cold anymore. My grass is growing like it's never grown before. So my, it's <laughs> no, my grass is growing like the weeds that populate most of my yard. My grass is growing like grass. It's like, <laughs> it's one of those things where I now have to mow it like probably every other day to avoid getting the hay baler out. Wow. But we'll take it. Now I just need it not to rain. Yeah. Cause that makes it harder to mow. It does make it harder to mow. And plus we have, uh, the uh, graduation stuff coming up for your kids and mine. So I yeah. would rather not move all that indoors. Definitely not. Yeah. We, yeah, we are uh, pretty soon. We'll, we'll have the hat out asking for folks to help keep our kids in college. So mm-hmm. yeah. Tonight we want to talk about WandaVision because we've not, ha- we've not done that yet. Exactly. That's one of those shows that, you know, went on that while we were doing our deep dives in the comics that really made a big impression in not only geek culture and popular culture, but really just really sparked a national discussion for a while about grief and grieving and how we do that. And it really sparked a lot of really interesting conversations. And I'm glad that we finally have the chance to sit down and talk about it. Yeah, it was one of those things that caught people who maybe they didn't even care about the MCU, but they sat down and they watched WandaVision. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was pretty interesting. So let me just say, just a reminder, WandaVision has been out for a while. And so all of the details can be talked about. And if you have not yet seen WandaVision and have somehow managed to avoid spoilers and still do not want anything to be spoiled, please press pause now, go watch the series, come back when you're finished. We'll still be here. With that out of the way, let's dive in. So just to remind ourselves, maybe this is for the people who haven't watched it and they well, don't and care. It's, and like you said, it's it's been a little while. It's been a while. It's been a while. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> So Wanda Maximoff, distraught at the loss of her brother Pietro and the love of her life, Vision, uh, Wanda summons an entire, surrounds an entire town with a massive web of magic that broadcasts various styles of sitcoms, showing the goings-on of life inside this magical field. We see life portrayed through the lens of television sitcoms throughout the years, from the 50s and 60s, evoking The Dick Van Dyke Show and Bewitched. And moving through the decades, we get the Brady Bunch and Family Ties and Malcolm in the Middle and Modern Family. And as we watch Wanda and Vision live out a life that Wanda had long dreamed about. But all is not well, as we begin to get clued into. And forces on the outside, most notably S.W.O.R.D., uh, tries to determine exactly what is happening with this. As well as that nosy neighbor who always keeps popping in. So that's the general gist of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what were your, what were your reactions? What, what, what did you think general, generally speaking of the, of the, of the series? I, I really liked the fact that they took this as they took advantage of the episodic nature of it mm-hmm. and didn't just make a movie that they cut up into a bunch of different parts and they took full advantage of you know, this, this episode is shot in this particular style to represent a 50 sitcom. This ep- the next episode is shot to represent a 60 sitcom. And they went through a lot of pains to really make it as much 
like that as possible. Like I think even I watched some of the things afterwards talking about how for the fifties show where they tried to make it like sort of like Dick, Dick Van Dyke or bewitched that they use a lot of practical effects. They didn't use the, the uh, CGI like there would, would be a whole lot easier today, but they wanted to make it. Let's shoot it. Like they shot it back then. And yeah, like the, uh, there's a scene when she's trying to cook that dinner and the recipe cards are all floating around and you see them all dangling by the, by the strings, you know, and the shelves all pop open and stuff kind of puppets yep. out. And yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I thought that was really good. And it really, it took two or three episodes to start to feel what was what was going on. And that's something that the, the first two episodes, I remember there was just a lot of confusion and wondering, is this a comedy? What is this? And mm-hmm. And then as little things started to drip out of the faucet, it really kind of hooked you at that point because you were already a little bit invested and you could see what was going on. And then as they're pulling, they pulled back the curtain really slowly in terms of what, what was going on. And uh, I thought they did a, a really good job of that. And I think that really made it something something you know very different for the mcu we let the last the last we sort of left uh the mcu right we had infinity war and then spider-man far from home Mm -hmm. i don't think we've had anything since then there was a there was a really big break and they had planned a smaller break than the pandemic made it a longer one Mm -hmm. so and I was just trying to think that the Mandalorian came, the Mandalorian came out between obviously before WandaVision and did it come, it came after Endgame. So that also kind of fit in, I think Marvel being a Disney property, maybe that cued them into, Hey, we can do this kind of episodic thing too. Well, I think they definitely, have the idea that they want to control more of the stuff. So if they have a series and mm-hmm. they're the only one streaming it, it just pulls everybody into their streaming service. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that, that's what, that's the advantage of that over a film, mm-hmm. you know, film, they have to distribute out everywhere. I, I really like this. The story too reminded me, you, you could see if you had read the, the vision limited series, where it's the vision kind of almost taking the place of Wanda and in, in WandaVision where, and he creates his own little family and he's trying to live the stereotypical middle-class uh, white picket fence household dream and things kind of fall apart in the middle of that. I thought it was interesting that they took that kind of frame of a story and switched it around, switched, switched the protagonist and, and so on and made it about Wanda, but telling a very similar story, but well, made it very, really, obviously. Yeah. That's really interesting because back in the nineties, I, I basically had the entire run of Avengers West coast collected mm-hmm. and it's in Avengers West coast, right? We have a storyline about Wanda and her kids. And all of a sudden, at one point in in the in one of the arcs in there, her kids go missing. Mm. And there's all this mystery, like what happened to her kids? And it ends up that she had completely created that reality of those kids. Right. And so for me, I felt a lot of resonance with that. That so I didn't get the like I kept waiting for this. It, it felt like they were pulling some of there from there. Mm-hmm. And so it felt I thought, oh my goodness. There's, there's a shoe that's going to drop. I kept waiting for that. Yeah. Know? And, and it paid off in, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought too, it was interesting. There, well, maybe that's a good place to start. You know, the discussion of all the shoes that dropped and all the shoes that didn't drop. Yeah. <laughs> so, so many people thought they were super smart and kept waiting and yeah, waiting yeah, and waiting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think, it was interesting that they, I mean, I, I thought, okay, is this when, how they 
bring mutants into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because, but they specifically made Wanda's powers magical, which I thought all was just as interesting as her, because now they really bought, brought magic into the MCU. Um, even though they did with Dr. Strange, but I think they kind of fleshed it out a bit more. It was a, it was a definite move for them to retcon Wanda. Like I give them sort of major props because I know that there were some folks who were like, but wait, you know, um, mm-hmm. that's not what you said. Like, okay, that's welcome to retcons. Um, yes. <laughs> and that's, we get those all the time, but I thought it was done really well. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just a hand wavy thing, but how did they survive three days in a, in an apartment with a live uh, Stark missile sort of sticking into their thing because she changed the probability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that made a lot of sense within that universe. Right. So I, 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 that part I enjoyed. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think they really developed her, her as a character, obviously, but then her, her powers as well, because I think in the films that, you know, she was kind of, her powers were just weird and they didn't, you know, she could, was it telekinesis? Was it mind control? Was it, it seemed like it was something more psychic, but this made it much more broad and massive for lack of a better word you know being able to take over and control an entire town yeah well unwillingly or willingly hard to it's hard to that could be a question too well the townspeople weren't willing yes that's what you mean right yeah but i mean like her what did wanda plan on was was the fact that wanda took over this town and was that something that she intended to do or did it just something that happened out of her own brokenness? Like her, her broken psyche just went and expanded itself over this town. Mm. Hmm. I don't know that we got a really good answer to that. Yeah, exactly. My sense in the midst of, of her grief and sort of trauma, mm-hmm. this, that response to that. And so it brings that out and, who 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 would not think like if I have the power to bring everything back together and create the life that I always wanted with them, I can do that. Like right, who, right. Who, who wouldn't do that? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people wouldn't, but she did. Mm-hmm. This was a major departure, right, uh, from the typical superhero milieu, right. Not just with the format of suddenly, well, here's these sitcoms, right? Those mm-hmm. are those are all set up, but it, it wasn't standard superhero fare. It, I mean, I'll jump ahead for a minute and just say Falcon and Winter Soldier, totally superhero fare, right? Um, even though it tackled systemic racism and you know in really cool ways, but this is this was different. It, it was drama as opposed to action. Whereas, yeah. you know, t- and, and typically, you know, all of the M- MCU movies have been action movies of some sort, you know, certainly with drama and different bits, bits in them, comedy and that, but they're still f- focused on the action that takes place. Meanwhile, in, in WandaVision, the, is so much more of a character and a unfolding of what's going on in this character's life. And there's no real action until maybe what the last three episodes, I think the last two definitely, but it's, it's, there's no like, and there's not even a sense of what the problem is. (laughs) We are not given any sight or insight into the mystery for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even when we think we have it, oh, nope, here's some different stuff going on. It's not quite the, what we thought. No, it was, it was, it was very good. Um, I really enjoyed it. And 
it brought about a ton of conversation between my uh, my middle child and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had lots, <laughs> lots to talk about. My wife watched it with me, and you know there'd be times when remember the paper towel was it the paper towel commercial Lagos and meant you know sort of yeah. mentions Nigeria and. And I'm just like, oh, dang, cleaning up messes, in Nigeria, you know. And mm-hmm. I was just like, she's like, I don't get it. I'm like, okay, do you remember? <laughs> Back in the movie, she's like, no. I'm like, all right, I okay. And then I had to explain it to her. <laughs> there were there were some really well placed things, and there's some great little Easter eggs, uh, and. Uh, it was good. Mm-hmm. So, and then there were Easter eggs that didn't turn out to be Easter eggs. Oh my god! With yeah, the whole thing, you know, and I I spent a lot of time like picking up, what checking out um, some of those YouTube channels that were yep. like, "Here's this." Oh my gosh, is that a? Uh, is here? Is here? We're gonna get Fantastic Four. Oh my gosh, it's Pietro. It's, it's Pietro. Pietro. From the X-Men movies, we're going to see the mutants. No. And then, no, he's just a guy. Yeah. (laughs) That aerospace engineer. Just somebody else. Okay. Nope, not that either. Yep. So, which which you you had brought up, you know, like how there's so much enthusiasm and, and build up sometimes around finding these little small things that really spur us to tell the story even more and to bring other people into that story. It's like, Oh, this Mm -hmm. is really cool. You should. And you know, those little things that you should, that, that catch you and you find those people, you know, like, like your wife and so on and say, Hey, you, you've got to watch this. This is, you know, this is cool and and bring them into there. And uh, there's that sense of wanting other people to share that experience with you. Yep. Which in a way, like I think you have brought up about how the life of the church is so, is so much, that's so much a part of it. I mean, the, the gospel message is that core come and see. Right. But I think that message gets lost a lot. You think? Yeah. (laughs) That's. You know, it kind of becomes, it, it becomes a lot of things. It becomes a, a message that you've heard over and over again. So, you know, all the, the, you know, what new can I learn from this or what new, you know, there's no way I can hear first John chapter one, any other way than I've already been, you know, heard it. And right. And there's this, I think there's sometimes the cultural sense that if I know this, everybody knows this because that's just because we're all the same and that gets lost. Um, Or that the, you know, sometimes the, the, the promise, you know, oh, come and come and hear the good news. And you, the, the good news though is not good news that, you know, you're, you need to be corrected. You need to be chastened. You need to be, you know, come and lose yourself before you can be found. Yeah. I heard a, saw a thing on Twitter here in the, in the last day or two where um, some uh, pastor or scholar was trying desperately to share the fact that, that the person that uh, of Junia, that Paul mentions. Yeah. I right. Saw that too, Definitely. Around. Junia, that's a man. Like, no, no, it's no, no, Junia's, that's a, mm-mm. but this person is like going super hard on that. Yeah. Um, and is getting excoriated on at least the corner of Twitter that I live in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause wow, that's something. But no, I think you're right. I think, um, the flip side of having a lot of enthusiastic sharing is that uh, 
you can you can do it too soon, right? Or you can confuse mm-hmm. the message with something else, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a a cultural phenomenon or it's just simply a you just mess it up. You don't get the right message. So right, yeah. There's a warning there too. I just it struck me that though it, something like this gathered the imagination of so many people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, I think that's the part for me that makes me wonder, like how, how do we engage and create the wonder and mystery and buzz around the good news? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, right. We just, for those of us who have sort of lived our lives in the church, we, yeah, right. We've, we've heard the parable of the prodigal son a gazillion times, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the, the radical nature is, is sort of missed. Right. And so, um, it just becomes kind of, yep, heard it. And then you, you, how do we begin to look at things that are buried in there and go, yeah, but right when the, when the father, right, it says, and, and he saw from a distance, the, you know, he, he kept looking out into the distance, right? It's the same word as when the son goes to a far off land, right? So it's in the sense, like the father was always watching and, and being ready for it. Like that's a huge piece that so often we miss, right? And so right. how do we keep, how do we continue to hear those things afresh? How do we keep the excitement and, and buzz going uh, around that? So mm-hmm. that that's, I mean, that's the stuff that I sort of love to dig into when I'm dealing with college students and when I'm writing my sermons and let's just not make the parable about, okay, everybody be nice to one another. Cause that's how Sunday school lessons are taught, you know? Mm-hmm. And after a while you're just default. Okay. Be nice to one another, you know, or, okay, pastor, you ask what's fuzzy, big, long tail, climbs trees, eats acorns. Sounds like a squirrel to me, but all, every answer you always ask me, it's always Jesus. Yep, so yep, yep. it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the stuff though that I was, that I guess that's the kind of lens that I was looking at that with. I think there is something, and there is a way for us to engage that over and over again and keep it fresh and, and exciting yeah. and a buzz. Yeah, I was thinking about you know the question of how do you how do you keep this this message fresh, and I know for me, so much of that comes from hearing it through different voices, and. Yeah. Because when you hear someone who has a different experience or a different, who has lived out that gospel narrative in a different way or has a different understanding, comes from, you know, has a different life experience that they bring into the mix, that really lends so much more value to that story. It's not just someone sharing information, it's someone sharing their own their own story in relation to the greater story being told. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where I find often where I get the most, most connection is if I, if I hear, if I hear the same person, you know, it gives, can be a fantastic preacher, but I do need to hear that. If I hear that same story, from someone else, they're bringing a whole different set of experiences because they're bringing their uh, completely different life in and their experience is going to be d- different and they're going to tell it a different way and it's yeah. going to, to hit, hit you different. And it's not always a matter of, I, I think the, the difficulty that some have, you know, and coming from a conservative background and more kind of dealing with, head over head over heart but then also anytime you're dealing with folks that come from a very academic um pastoral background is the idea that this the story is always going to be the same in some way because it's always the same words always the same Greek tenses. It's always the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's always, the context is always the same. So therefore it's always just going to be telling the same story, but maybe telling that same story in different ways 
because there's, you know, even when there's a lot to get out of a particular story, a particular narrative, I think there's a tendency to see the well as dug already and why would you want to dig any further or look at, look, there's one way to, there's one way to read this. There's one way to look at this. So part of that is, I think, comes from, I I mean, Martin Luther sort of is to blame for some of that Mm -hmm. because that the Reformation brings about, like, there's one way to read the text. It has one meaning Um, because the, the medieval, there was a medieval method of reading that had four different meanings in a text and Mm -hmm. um, the metaphorical and the historical and, you know, all that. But I think now in sort of in a postmodern existence, there's definitely, we, we have to understand that the reader brings different lenses. Right. That's definitely. Which actually that made me think like, I really dug the, the role of the supporting characters here in this, mm, in, mm-hmm. in WandaVision. Right. And I think only now as we were talking about this and, and you mentioned listening to and other voices and hearing other people's experiences, how that informs the text. Right. So, Right. Yes, I, I've made it a work. I've made it sort of a, a goal to read more um, sort of uh, biblical scholars who are African American or people of color, or women, right? Mm-hmm. Because they definitely um, bring a bring a set of lenses to those texts that I don't have, and so it's really it is very enlightening at times to read what what they're saying. So that's cool, and so then I don't think that it's necessarily um on accident that the that the supporting characters uh in WandaVision, right? We had the team of uh uh Monica Rambo, uh who who is a sword agent, uh the FBI agent Jimmy Wu and Darcy Lewis. Who we and so uh Agent Wu and Darcy Lewis we've seen in other MCU. Uh Jimmy Wu was in the Ant Man movies mm-hmm. and uh Darcy Lewis was in Thor. Right. Right. Monica Rambo is new. She's introduced here. Well, mm-hmm. we did see her. Sorry. We saw her in Captain Marvel. But there wasn't right. like, yeah, she was, well, she you was, know, like, she was 10. Yeah, whatever, exactly. Right. So, <laughs> you know, that's as much as you know about her. Exactly. Like she was that cool little kid, you know, who hung out with Captain Marvel and mm-hmm. designed her color scheme. But, um, yeah, that, I thought that was great that we also see sort of the beginning of sort of people coming back from the blip. Right. You know, because she, she comes back and we got to see, I think we got to see a little bit of the chaos that was like, oh, yeah, wow. All righty then. So, but, but look at the, look at that, look at that crew, African-American woman, Caucasian woman, and an Asian-American male. Mm-hmm. Um. I think the the fact that they were the ones who continued to um, think about what's going on in there, what's going on, and what they weren't just focused the way that the director was, the director of sword there. Yeah, was, the, the director of sword. Yeah, I was just thinking about. I was trying to remember his name, but yeah, he was focused on solving the problem. I think he was focused on ending the problem. Yeah. I don't think he saw it as a any any solution that was needed other than um, ending the prop. Yeah, yeah. Director Hayward. That's okay. But yeah, and that, and that you bring that up too is that these these th- three other voices are more are much more sympathetic, and they're trying to figure out what the problem is before they try and solve it with a missile or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I think that's uh, that's a key that's a key to the story too is these these other characters that are trying to solve the problem not by punching it but by trying to understand it and what might be going on and seeing Wanda not as an enemy or the antagonist. Although I think you you could make the case that Wanda's a pretty solid antagonist in this movie, even though she is both the protagonist and the antagonist. I'm going to, I'm going to call her the antihero. I, yeah. I think she fits that lens a whole lot 
Oh, she fits that mold a whole lot better. Yeah. Because we want her to be good, but that is not what we ultimately end up getting. Mm-hmm. We get something else that we understand, but she is not good. Mm-hmm. But no, I just think that like those those characters, because they all had their own experiences with the larger members sort of of the MCU, Captain mm-hmm. Marvel, Ant-Man, and uh, Thor. Like, they were still clinging on to something, something weird was happening. And they, you know, uh, Director Hayward, he had, you know, he had one tool. He had a hammer. Mm-hmm. Everything else then becomes a nail. So that's how he was going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. They they came from a different angle. They had different experiences. Mm-hmm. They were trying everything else. So I I did like how they sort of brought about uh, Monica's powers. Yeah, I thought that well, was interesting. Yeah, I liked it. And I think I think going back to the the problem, I like the fact that the problem I, th- I mean there there was a problem of the antagonist with uh, Agnes Harkness Agatha you know as being Agatha all along which I thought was do, great do, do, that they do, were do. able to actually make a song that fit in. <laughs> that you know very very monsters catchy it. It was a very it was catchy song. Very monsters. Very monsters. Very catchy. Um, but that the the real bad guy in this was grief. It was not something that you could, you know, capture or uh, it was it was something that needed to be discussed and needed to be brought out, and it wasn't someone doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. It was someone who was acting out of a state of trauma. And I think that's kind of what I saw as being just really crucial to understanding this and see, and her, her character, they, they really touched on what you, you mentioned already, the, the, the bomb going off or the, the missile that, you know, sat in there in her house for three days waiting to blow up while her and her her brother couldn't move and her parents were dead. Right. Um, Then dealing with the death of her brother in uh, age of Ultron and just all of the other mess that she's gone through finally with uh, the death of vision uh, twice. (laughs) Yeah. And just all of all of the bad stuff just and and finally just slipping over the edge when she goes to try and take vision home and sees them laid out in a warehouse in bits and pieces and right and not seen as a human being at all. And there was just so much that really, you know, coming from hospice chaplaincy dealing with people that you know, are dealing with death and dying on a routine basis. I mean, there's just, there's a ton of stuff going on there that can be talked about. And I mean, and and rather than spend a whole lot of time talking about it, I want to direct listeners to our friend, uh, Matthew Brakes podcast or podcast website, um, popular culture and theology, because there were several articles on WandaVision and grief and trauma on there that I think are, well worth your your time looking into. Uh, is it is it one of those yours? Maybe I have lost track. I think I did. <laughs> I think you have an article. Yeah, I think you have an article. The one of, yeah, I I, I, probably, I didn't want to say like wow you don't but when you don't even remember if one is yours like okay I'm sorry. Well, I think there's there's like three or four other ones on there. So I mean that's no, there are several. Yeah, it that. could it could be a volume. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, go ahead, Sam. Say the line. What is grief if not love persevering? As you say, the line that launched a thousand funeral sermons. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, Look, and that, I don't want to say that 
I never expect popular culture to go deep, but this hit me so I almost felt it when they when he said it, mm-hmm. like just yeah, just feel it hitting it, just like oh, that's good. So here's my question, though, Sam, just real quick. Uh, over under percentage of funeral sermons that that's mentioned in, if I say 65% of funeral sermons, uh, what do you think? All right. I don't do sports betting, so I don't know how under over under it's work. You think, so it, I, it's, <laughs> yeah. Do you think it will be more than 65% oh, or okay. under 65%? I'm like, do you want a number or what? Okay. No, I, I think, just need you to give me over under. Is it going to be over or under? I think it will be under. Honestly. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But I think I think I think though the 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 number of pastors that had that pen in their hand and ready to write that down and then went, "No, I think that's pretty high." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think that is definitely high, but um but yeah, it I think the with there, there's a there was a book and the this you know really I think I I probably wrote about this in in that uh, article but there was a a book I had read uh, by Joan Didion who's an author wrote a number of mysteries and fiction um, and she wrote a book called the Year of Living Magically or or the year Year of Magical Thinking where mm. she her husband had died, like had a massive heart attack while they were having dinner and was dead when he hit the floor. And there was no, no cueing. There was no, uh, premonition. There was no sense of something bad was going to happen. It was just there and it was done. And just the, the book is her talking about how, insane she felt that first year was in terms of trying to cope with a situation that Mm. she could not make sense out of. And that experience is so common with so many people. And one of the things that Joan Didney talked about was how she, one of the first things she thought of whenever he died and they're taking him into the ambulance, taking him to the hospital. I think I'm trying to think if he pronounced dead, but she thought I need to charge his phone up because he'll need to use his phone. Mm. And yeah, it's a perfectly natural thing. And there are other things too. Like later on, she talked about how she was, you know, move trying to get rid of things and just to her new life, but she could not get rid of his shoes because what if he needs shoes when he comes back? Mm. And it's that it wasn't that she didn't believe that he wasn't dead. It was that she was holding this, these two parallel realities of the, what really is, but what also could be trying, you know, side we're, we're competing and just, and kind of living in her, in her head side by side. And I know so many people, I, I can't remember if I do a lot of phone calls to families and so on. And I will often hear families say, I know you think, I know you're going to think I'm going to, I know you think I'm going to, you're going to say I'm crazy, but, and then goes on with some story about something. And it's like, nope, you're the fifth person that's told me that today about how I still talk to them, how I still feel their presence, how I haven't been able to uh, get rid of you know, the little, the little things in the, in the house that I feel like I should, um, things like that. And I think that really, I, I mean, I don't know if they talked with a grief counselor when in, in writing this, but it certainly seems like they did because they got the, the nail hit right on the head around, you know, someone who's going through grief and not just grief, but traumatic grief. Mm-hmm. And how how maladaptive uh, th- people's adjustments can be 
whenever you're going through some kind of, of traumatic grief like that. And I think the the real tragedy that you see in in WandaVision is that her her grief brings in so many other people into it that don't want to be there and can't and can't and can't leave basically. I, I think that's a little bit actually a little bit of a mirror situation of what happens f- for us. Normally folks are grieving and other people sort of step into a space where suddenly, Oh crap, they're grieving. I don't want to be here. Like grieving makes us uncomfortable and we don't want to talk about it. And so like two weeks after my grandfather died, someone told my, my mother to get over it, mm-hmm. you know, like, that, that's the other side. I think that's why I'm saying it's sort of the mirror side. We don't want to deal with grief um, when we when we encounter it. We don't want to be there. Well, these folks didn't have a choice in, right. in Wanda. Like that, <laughs> they mm-hmm. literally didn't have a choice. Like they didn't want to be there. They didn't have a choice. But so, yeah, when you when you couple that sort of devastating grief with incredible reality shaping powers that's a it's a yeah. bad mix it's a bad mix <laughs> and, and it really kind of take the the notion of creating creating a world you know people do create a world in in many ways where that person is still there mm-hmm. but she did it in a very concrete way mm. and and not just you know made a role in which he was there. It was a world. It was her ideal world that she wanted growing up. It wasn't just that she wanted vision back. It's that she wanted her parents back. She wanted the life that she never had back because her parents died and because of the war and, and because of these, all these other things that she, she needed to find comfort in something. And And I think that was the payoff for all of the, the sitcoms in the beginning. Yeah. That, we find out that she was those that the sitcoms become an issue because, uh, or become that the vehicle for telling the story because that's what her dad did. He, he, he would sell these DVDs on the sort of the black market, but they would also watch them. Mm-hmm. And that for her, that was family. That was their family time. And it was for her then the vision, not, you know, the vision of what a great life looked like. Mm-hmm. And I do think it was interesting the progression of the of the sitcoms, right? Because in the fifties and sixties, they are so idealistic. Yeah, right. They're sort of the perfect vision of life. And then by the time he gets down into sort of like the nineties and the two thousands, you get the the Malcolm in the Middle uh, version and the Modern Family. It's like those are never idealistic. Yeah. <laughs> definitely more cynical right yeah at least they didn't Um, go into married with children territory sure right (laughs) you know or or roseanne i don't i was i thought for sure they there'd be something with roseanne but you know maybe but there was there was that parallel track that was going on Mm -hmm. that as the as things sort of went on in the in the hex it just was devolving and she try as she might she couldn't keep a handle on it it was still breaking down it was breaking down the same way that you see that in the in the the devolution of um the sitcoms from the idealistic to the um some would say real life and some would say uh sort of the the brokenness of the Mm -hmm. sitcoms Mm -hmm. but but it's interesting in that to progress through that in a, is in the same way of how you deal with grief is you have to lean into that brokenness. You can't avoid it and you can't run away from it. What right. traps people in complicated grief is that those the, the coping mechanisms that they fall back on end up not that's, – that's where they stay. And so – they get stuck in a particular uh, coping mechanism 
assuming everything's okay, you know, living the, the beautiful world or, you know, whatever is that they're doing to try and, you know, soothe themselves, even alcohol, drinking, uh, gambling, who knows, you know, any, any kind of, uh, coping mechanism to try and, uh, keep the grief away basically. Right. And eventually those, those break down. And the ideal thing that used to work doesn't work anymore. And yeah, I think that's, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you hit the nail on the head with, you see, you know, this is, you know, the, the fifties ideal life and this is what I want, but it's, it slowly breaks down over time just because it has to, you have to, you know, the, the, the reality of the, the situation just can't be avoided anymore. So let, let, let's talk Agatha for a minute too, because <laughs> mm-hmm. she, um, we all think that she's just part of the, uh, of the community uh, when we first encounter her, right? Then there's the big reveal that uh, in a sense, I mean, if grief is the big bad guy, she's at least uh, a slightly earlier boss fight. Maybe like yeah. she is, she is at work with things. So, she was, uh, it was a little, I didn't dislike how they, how they portrayed her. There was, there was a lot of good stuff that she did. Like the, the way Catherine Hahn played her. Like Catherine Hahn was awesome mm-hmm. playing, playing Agatha, but, um, and she's, <laughs> she's certainly not the Agatha Harkness from the comics. You're right. <laughs> the old, the old lady. So, um, it just was, uh, you know, she wanted to know, as a witch herself, how Wanda was doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. And she finds out, Oh, she, that's where we get the name. Now she's the Scarlet witch, mm-hmm. the, the chaos magic. So she, she did everything she could to try and stop her as well. Right. And in, in a sense, the, um, an, another person sort of like uh, director Hayward mm-hmm. just wanted to stop her, wanted to end it. Not surprisingly, doesn't happen. But, right. Um, I felt e- even though she is uh, that that Agatha is set up as sort of villainous, I felt bad for her mm-hmm. at the end. Like I didn't yeah, feel like that ending was kind of creepy, for lack of a better word. Yeah. She just uh, Wanda just well, Wanda just basically exiled her into her, this own little world and has to live out her life. Not like she completely forgets that she's a witch and she, she kind of maintains her, the act that she was doing. Yeah. She kept, yeah. She forced that on her still. Yeah. That's what I said. Like in our, in our back and forth on this a little bit, I felt like, that that sort of thing, Agatha's sort of fate at the end of the series and Wanda's lack of suffering consequences mm-hmm. just left me very <sighs> empty. Mm-hmm. There, there was, I didn't feel like there was any redemption for Wanda at the mm-hmm. end. In fact, maybe she went the other direction. I mean, I felt that there was redemption in that she was able to accept reality. You know, she, when it, she ends up uh, taking the the hex down and she's right back where she started from in the the shell of the house where Mm. she and Vision were, were planning to start their lives. I thought that was kind of her redemption moment there was when she was able to bring herself back to kind of back to ground. It's not like, but it's not, it's not a redemption in that things are now better. Hmm. It's just that they're not bad. And I think it's to me, like I, I had read it in terms of, Wanda's not, I think you had, you had said something about like, well, Wanda certainly doesn't seem sorry that all of this happened. 
but I think, I think there's a sense of shame that she has. And then when you, when that all of this happened because of her and you certainly don't get the idea that, you know, when she's walking out and all of the people are staring at her and look, looking at her, like she's a monster. And I think that they, they told her, it's like, they think you're, you know, what she says, why are they staring at me like that? It's like, because they think you're a monster. And it's obvious to her that she hurt all of these people willingly or un- unwillingly. And she has to deal with that shame. And I know sometimes when you're dealing with that sense of shame, it just crashes in on you and you can't, there's no, there's, there's no words that you can use to apologize. Um, and which is why she kind of puts herself into a self-imposed exile. It's like, I'm not going to hurt any more people. So I'm going to live in the cabin by myself and not hurt, hurt anyone else. So, and, and I think also seeing her because of her tragic backstory, because of seeing, seeing this as happening from a victim of trauma, I think it kind of raises the question. And I don't know if it's probably not going to be answered around how responsible is she? Cause not only did she have all this trauma in her background, but she had Agatha Harkness poking the, poking the bear so often uh, to try and get her to try and keep the world going for lack of a better word, or try and, you know, see what the, how she was more interested in Wanda's powers and not necessarily trying to save the people that she was affecting, mm-hmm. right. stop the situation. So. That's, that's, I, I that's how what, I saw it. Yeah. I hear what you were saying. Um, it still doesn't, it doesn't clear out sort of the bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it was really, it's unpleasant. I think if, if you come at it, it, it's, it's hard because if you come at it from the vantage point, I think from a pastoral vantage point, it, there's a real bad taste in your mouth. And, and especially with Agatha, I mean, she pulls a, a Charles Xavier and just, you know, doesn't, a, um, a, a mind can't say the word. <laughs> to her Mm -hmm. and which something is that Charles Xavier is prone to do and is always bad in terms of he monkeys with people's minds and I'm just going to poke around in this person's mind or it's okay. Or I'm going to hide this person's thoughts. I'm going to tell all these people that we're not here. And you know, those things have consequences. But you see, you, you talked about, that 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 last scene with her and that sort of divided nature, mm-hmm. you know, I I saw that right because there she, you know, the scene starts with her enjoying a cup of tea in some nice secluded uh, mountain cabin, and you, you think know. everything's okay. She's wearing white, things are serene. You can practically see the little bunny rabbit hopping around, right? You know? Yes. Oh, little cabin in the woods. Yes. Like oh, you know. But then you go inside and suddenly you're in the Hansel and Gretel nightmare because there's the witch. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's reading the, um, what is it? Um, oh, my mind's, uh, is it the dark tome or, uh, dark, something, the dark hold, dark hold, uh, which, um, had been in, in, uh, Marvel agents of shield, which has now been relegated to non-canonical status, but you know, it was in there. We saw it in there, but she's sitting there reading. So she's pulling a doctor strange, uh, astral projecting mm-hmm. you know while she's reading that dark that is not a that is not a good book no it is not a good book this is this is not a good thing she's she's and just the the energy that that's radiating from while she's doing that is not good yeah so that's why i'm kind of like she she hasn't learned mm-hmm. now i get we're setting up a state we're setting up something perhaps for the doctor strange too mm-hmm Multiverse was it? Wait, multiverse of madness. madness. Multiverse of madness. Yeah, my my brain was like, no, that's not right, Brian. Like, that's not it. I'm like, no, I think that's it. That's no. it. That's it. Which I'm excited to see, but mm-hmm. um, you know, she's definitely. I think we still have a lot more questions about Wanda than we do answers. Mm-hmm. She's a very complex character in the in the series mm-hmm. as well as in the comics. I think that's one of the great things about 
about her is that she's a very complex character. Yeah. No, I, and you know, like I said, that, that, that arc I, I referenced in Avengers West coast, uh, is one of my favorite arcs. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was really done well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I think let's leave it there with questions. Yeah. A lot of questions, no answers, but we got a really good look at Wanda. We got to see a few new things coming out. Not as much as we'd hoped, mm-hmm. but there we are. So, but it, and if, if you haven't watched the series, I think it's, it's well worth your, your time, even if you're not a big Marvel fan. Yeah. Even um, if I've, I've had students who are like, yeah, I've never watched any of the MCU, but I watched that. That was good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to know all of that, all of the stuff. You don't need to know all of the details. You will miss some Easter eggs, but yeah. otherwise. Yeah. Well, and, and thankfully the internet is your friend and you can, you can go back and get some, some character backstory and, and learn what happened before and why these things are significant and so on. There's a gazillion videos on YouTube mm-hmm. explaining all so many things. And what they might mean, which they don't mean that. We'll tell you that now, but yeah, there is a lot of good back uh, background information on those. So. And I think it's well worth a second watch too. I mean, because there mm-hmm. are going back and seeing those those things that you missed before, and the little the little bits and pieces, the commercials, and so on that um, add a lot to it. Once you kind of get the, the get the the hold of what's going on, yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, good. Um, yeah, folks, check that out. Um, so, Sam, that that leaves only one question left for me to ask you. It's an unanswerable question, I know, right? It is. If I have a comic that I got from my grandfather, but then a page rips out and I buy another page and I stick it back in. And then slowly I have totally <laughs> replaced all the pages of the book. Is this still my grandfather's comic? No, who knew? Sorry. Just last. Page. Yes. Who knew that the vision's uh, superpower was philosophy? Yep. Go philosophy. <laughs> Ship of Theseus. Uh, paradox. Exactly. That, that was, that was good. I like it was it. brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, no, the question I have to ask you, what are you geeking out about? Oh, I got a lot of stuff I'm geeking out about. I, All right, take it easy on us. I know. I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it down to a few things. I picked up uh, uh, Shang-Chi um, Volume 1, issues 1 through 5, which I think is a great way to get introduced to uh, Shang-Chi, the, the, the character, seeing that there's the movie coming out. Mm-hmm. And Shang-Chi is not a new character, but he's been on the fringes of so many things for such a long time. Like I, it wasn't a character that I really, cause I didn't, he, he, he was on West coast Avengers, right? He was, no. he was on, he's on it. Okay. Well, he was on a number of different teams and so on. I think he mm-hmm. was a part of, or uh, maybe a defender or something like that at one point in time. Um, but didn't really have a big share of the limelight. And now he's getting his share of the limelight now with this whole new film. Yeah. And, uh, this is a, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun read, uh, lots of action. It, it kind of reels, reads and feels like a, uh, Jackie Chan or not quite Jackie Chan, but like, a a good eighties, uh, Asian martial arts film, right. Uh, with magic and intrigue and dragons and stuff like that. Um, but I also picked up a comic called across the tracks, uh, by Alvern Ball that came out not that long ago, but it's about the uh, Tulsa Race Massacre and written to tell the story of how the town of Greenwood came around and kind of telling the stories of the people in it and highlighting some of the, those characters and their story and uh, has a interest, you know, interesting essay in the back. Uh, written for all ages, I think you know it's a it's a great way to uh, look at you know a hundred years later mm. this this event that we you know still don't know a whole lot about if you're not a resident of Tulsa. 
Um, but it's, I think it, I, I really like that it, it dwelled on the, the life of the, of the town and the people in it and just how all the amazing things that they did at that time, yeah. you know, given, given what they had to go up against. Cool. So, and you? Hmm. So since the Mandalorian ended, uh, I had started, it was very slow at first, going through and watching the Clone Wars for the first time. Mm. And now I, I'm, I'm watching several a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I am stunned that it took me forever to go, you know, I should have watched this. Like I'm, I'm, I was surprised when I heard that you hadn't watched that yet. I was like, I thought that was kind of required. <laughs> um, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. But I think I, I think it's understandable. I think it, it seems on the surface like something for little kids. Uh, yep, and I'll tell you, it's. It's very good storytelling, mm-hmm. and there's there's a number there's a number. Not every arc is great, you know. The Nomad yeah. Droid arc was, but yeah. uh, the Umbara arc was good. The uh, all of the stuff around Mandalore is just mm-hmm. so good. So I getting that down, and then getting excited then to watch the Bad Batch, you know, right? That's that's pretty much it. I I'm just, uh, gosh, super, super geeky about watching this, this clone wars. Cause it's really good. Hmm. So right now that's all I'm going to go with. That's, uh, that's enough. If, so if, uh, if folks, you like star Wars, but you haven't watched clone wars, check it out because definitely. Yeah. It's really good. And it's, and it's all very, you know, it's a sort of like, you know, you get three or four episodes of like one arc, and then it's not all continuous. You know, you jump from storyline to storyline in, in a lot of ways, like a comic. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it has a little bit of a comic feel. It does, because there's, there's stories that are told, and some of those stories mesh, and some of them build up. And sometimes there's a hard break between them. Yeah. And, but yeah, that's great. Enjoying cool. it enjoying it immensely. Yeah. There's some really good arcs. I kind of, at first I was kind of in the thing that this is kind of for kids and da, 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 da. but yeah, it, it really hit on some, when it started really going into the history of, well, and not in doing world building basically and fleshing yeah. things out around characters and so on and why, what's going on in this particular time of history. I thought that was great. Yeah. Well, and, and even like, I mean, it's a, it's a war story, Mm -hmm. right? Even if it's in space, it's a war story. And it really struck me how in this, um, the last, I just finished the Umbara arc where you had uh, Pong Krell Mm -hmm. and I was really surprised at, this was not like GI Joe, grown up, watched GI Joe, you know, Mm -hmm. lasers are flying everywhere and nobody ever falls. Yep. Um, Boy, the clones take a beating. Yeah, and the I feel like at times it almost felt like it was too much. The horrors of war, like mm, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you think like the main audience was kids. But yeah, <laughs> my goodness, yeah. So I just a, a whole bunch of respect for this that that I had written off before. Don't mm-hmm. judge a book by its cover and don't judge a series just because it's animated. Yep. Definitely. So, yep. That's where we are. Cool. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of church of the geek. If, uh, you have, uh, if you can, please, uh, share our episodes, uh, give us a like, give us a review, uh, on Apple podcasts or, um, wherever you listen. We would really appreciate it. Uh, please uh, uh, 
hit us up on uh, social media at Geek Church on Twitter, Church of the Geek on Facebook, uh, and uh, or even send us a send us drop us an email. Uh, yeah, definitely. Geek Church One at Gmail dot com. Uh, we would uh, love to hear from you. Love to hear what you thought about WandaVision uh, and all. So, and to those folks, those couple people who like downloaded everything over the past week or so. Thank you and why, but <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. All I'll be, yeah, absolutely. Thank you and enjoy the binging. God bless um, you, dear. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know, we keep, we keep, uh, eking towards the end of this pandemic and, and, uh, lots of good vaccines. So please everybody trust in God, wash your hands. Wear a mask, kind of, sort of now, but get the vaccine. Uh, And as always, geek be with you. And also with you.